You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. This morning, what I have the uh, blessing of doing is uh, continuing on in the book of Philippians. Last week, we uh, heard from Dom. But he, was, he wasn't in Philippians, okay? So you'll have to kind of uh, go way back when the last time Riz talked, okay? So if you'll open up the book of Philippians chapter 1. The book of Philippians chapter 1. Okay, and I'll be reading in, uh, let me look, verses... Starting in verse 27, and I'll be reading down to the end of the chapter, to verse 30. Okay? And he says here, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one, for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you preserved your word for all these years. Lord, to speak to us today, Lord, I do pray that uh, you would open each one of our hearts. Lord, and that you would just speak into our lives, Lord, just what we're reading here. We know that your word is life, Lord, and we definitely need to hear from you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, if you, uh, I'll encourage you to uh, come next week also because Riz is going to be talking and he's a lot better speaker than I am. And uh, I was sharing with a couple of people that um, somebody asked me this morning if I was speaking, and uh, I told them that I can talk, but I don't know if I can speak. So, I w- always want to start with the disclaimers. And uh, I have had probably like five weeks to study these three scriptures, and uh, not a good thing. Because I had like a million things to say, and uh, that wouldn't be a good morning for all of us. <laughs> the book of Philippians, and uh, I kind of titled it as being joy in every circumstance. And if you are here or you're familiar with the book, you know that uh, the Apostle Paul is writing it from prison. And he's encouraging the church, the Philippian church, because they're kind of been suffering um, because of the gospel. 
equally so, him being in prison, pretty amazing. And it's, it's a book that I love, but it's kind of in the same way a book that I hate because it talks about joy in every circumstance, which that part of it is, is suffering, which I'm going to talk about today. And uh, suffering specifically in the book of Philippians, Paul, for the gospel, and the, the Philippian church, because of the gospel. Okay, and probably not that great of a subject is to be talking about suffering, but suffering is a part of life. He says here in verse 20, So that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. And the gospel absolutely drove Paul. He was an amazing man of God. And like beyond any, I can't even comprehend that, you know, passion that he has. And just in these three scriptures, it kind of like spoke to me so much that, man, I'm so far from where this guy's at. So focused and so single-minded on the gospel. You know, and I just realized that I'm like distracted so much by other things. So, Paul was sharing up to this point about him being in prison. And one thing, if you remember, that he said was that, look, his confinement, him being in prison, actually was furthering the gospel. Because he had an opportunity to share the gospel with everybody in the king's palace or the governor's palace. And he was seeing, I'm going, man, how amazing is that? I think if I was locked up in prison, that I'm not sure what my attitude would be. You know, on lesser things, my attitude is not there. But you know what? That guy was so amazing. And he goes on to encourage this church here. That's where we are today. That he kind of shifts from his situation. And he's now encouraging them as believers in the church. And in 27, he says, whatever happens. So he's kind of saying, whatever happens to me, I don't know if I'm going to get out of here. I don't know if I'm going to get the death sentence and I'll be killed. I'm not sure what's going to happen. But whatever happens, he exhorts them to conduct them, yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I had a long time to think about just that one verse. To conduct ourselves. I don't know. Um, when I was a kid, I grew up as a Catholic. I went to Catholic school from kindergarten to 10th grade. But I can remember in grade school, the lower grades, that uh, the report cards, and I don't know how they are now because, you know, I have grandchildren and I kind of don't pay attention to the report cards, so <laughs> that's a mom and dad's deal. But when I was a kid, I can remember clearly that there was a section. You got graded for your conduct. 
Anybody remember that? Do they have that now? Uh, maybe not. Okay. But if you, how many people, anybody here grew up as in Catholic church, went to Catholic school? Right? If you went to Catholic school, and if you're old like me, right? Like old Catholic school, they had conduct was a grade. You got graded. And I, my mom actually was a teacher at the same Catholic school that I went. Which, yeah, think of how gnarly that was. <laughs> and uh, it's like your mom was the teacher. Okay? And uh, when we were at home, she was still the teacher. But I can remember that conduct thing was the first grade that she looked at. And I'm, I don't remember clearly, but I'm, I would guess that mine usually wasn't good. <laughs> but you know what he's saying here to us as believers that what? Our conduct matters in the gospel. Our lives are to be a living example of the gospel. And, and you know what? A good Example of that is when we come and help here at the school. That's a living example of the gospel. St. Francis said to preach the gospel always and use words when necessary. Our lives should be an explanation of what the gospel is, and the gospel is good news. And our life should be good news. And I hope that as believers, when people come in contact with us, especially people that don't know the Lord, that they'll see us as being good news. It says here, let your conduct be worthy of, of the gospel of Christ. Worthy, that word means worth, value. And wait. And you know what? This, this one really challenged me when I read it because I thought about the gospel. I'm going, man, the gospel of Christ. How much value do I put on that now? And in 1971, I became a born-again believer. And I can tell you that in the beginning, there was so much value to me, because I was new, being born again, the Lord made me new. And, but now, however many years, 50 years later, I would kind of think, man, maybe I'm, it doesn't hold that same weight. Like when I first became a Christian, when my life was first changed, the first time I read the Bible, the first time I went to church, the first time I met believers... But he's encouraging us and exhorting us to, you know what, right now, that the gospel, we're supposed to live it out with all the value that's put in it. How much worth is the gospel? Not just to change our lives back then in 1971, my life, but you know what, the gospel has been changing my life all the way up until today and going to continue to change my life. How much value does the gospel have that change our lives from death to
to life. That we were lost, but now we're found. Carries us through each and every day. How much value we put on that is going to directly affect how we live our lives now. Again, in verse 27, he says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. One of the defining marks of the gospel of Christ is unity in the body of Christ. Unity, really important. And I had a long time to think about this. One of the commentaries that I read explained it this way, that with one soul as a team of athletes work in perfect cooperation with each other. One of the most powerful examples to the life-changing power of the gospel for those outside of the church is unity within the church. Us getting along and working towards the gospel. It is not unusual for for people who are non-believers to come and visit. Right? And we say that we're the family. We're the family of God. This is living proof that the gospel brings us together. And not just in relationship with God, but in relationship with each other. And this is... You know, a pretty diverse body of believers here. And most churches should be. And some of these people, before you were a Christian, you might not hang out with everybody in this group. But as believers, here we are, all together from different parts of Hawaii or different parts of the U.S. or different parts of the world. Here we are. What we have in common is Christ. It's so important that Jesus prayed for us to have unity in John chapter 17. And I'll be reading verses 21 to 23. And this is Jesus praying a prayer for us. And he says that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfect in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them even as you loved me. Sounds pretty important, huh? And you know what? You think about that, that Jesus prayed for us to have unity right here in our body. Three points. Unity is a reflection of the character and the heart of God. So Jesus unified. God the Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit are one, unified. His body in the same way, is going to reflect that unity is supposed to. His body, the body of Christ, is one by design 
and by purpose. The second point is unity is a testimony to those outside of the body of Christ. And my observation is that outside of the body of Christ, how much unity is there? Especially now, there's a lot of diver, uh, you know, um, like trouble, right? A lot of fighting. Now, I don't know about your family, but my family is, we're a family, but we love to fight. And we don't see eye to eye, and, and we're a pretty scrappy bunch. You can ask Winter, and she'll explain. <laughs> but within the church, right now, I was thinking about this, why people come to the church, and why would they want to be a part of another dysfunctional family? Right? If there's dysfunction with us, it's not going to be appealing to somebody that's coming from dysfunction. And it's really important for us to consider our unity and how we contribute to it. Good and hopefully not bad. Third point, unity is far more effective in carrying out God's purpose in a lost world. We can get more accomplished working together than working against each other. And I don't know, don't raise your hands, but I've been in quite a few churches, and sometimes, you know how it is. Like, within the church, you, it's people are working against each other. You can't move forward very well. Let's open up to uh, Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Ecclesiastes, chapter 4. Verses 9 through 12. He says here, Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So unity is really important. Us working together for the cause of Christ, for the gospel, is of utmost importance. Let's turn again to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Paul writes, As a prisoner for the Lord then... I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received, similar to Philippians. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope, when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father and of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So unity exists through God, but at the same time we have a responsibility to do our part. And I think protect 
and contribute to unity. And obviously the enemy wants to get in there. It's a number one tactic to get in any church and create disunity there. Moving on in Philippians, verse 28, and I lost my place, so, right here, 28. He says here, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. So in the gospel, the opposition is inevitable if you believe the gospel. Why? Because not everybody believes. In 1 Corinthians verse 118, it says, Paul says, For the message of Christ is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And I'm sure in all of our you know, walks with Christ that we've seen that. That not everybody believes, not everybody understands, and maybe they think that we're pretty foolish for being believers. Maybe they think that we're wasting our lives. And sometimes it's somebody in the family. Sometimes it's our friends. Right? I became a Christian when I was a senior, and you know what? There was a parting. Some friends that I had before I was a Christian, then we didn't have anything in common, or, or they didn't want to, you know, it was kind of things changed. I changed, and they stayed the same. And we kind of went our separate ways. Sometimes it's co-workers, right, that they're not in that place. And they don't understand the way that they look at you is different. And they might even oppose you. The Apostle Paul was in prison for the gospel. So there was opposition there. The Philippian church was in opposition by people that were trying to stamp out the gospel. One thing that I do know is that the Bible says that there is power in the gospel. Right? Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So there's power in the gospel, and that power is the power of God. Paul was an excellent example of that power because he was not just a non-believer. He was an opposer. In Acts chapter 22, verse 4, he shares his testimony. He says about himself that I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, attesting both Arresting both men and women, throwing them in prison. Again, in 1 Timothy 1.13, he says, Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul's life was changed amazingly. We're reading the letter that he's writing and encouraging to another church. 
So how heavy he was before, he was that heavy and more as a believer. But you know what? This story encourages me because the power of the gospel can reach anybody. Something that I always consider, especially, I don't know, maybe if you know, have you ever known somebody that you thought, man, they're the last person that would ever come to church? They're the last person that would ever accept Christ. I've known a few of those guys. And you know what? A bunch of those guys are believers. And that just shows me, what do I know? That the gospel is powerful to reach any heart, and we can't give up. No one is beyond the grace and the power of God in the gospel. And maybe that, I'm thinking, man, maybe some people are here, and there's somebody in your you know, circle, in your life, that, that they look like they're a million miles from God and Christ. But you know what? We can't ever us underestimate God's power. We can't ever underestimate the power of the gospel. And I can tell you, if God can find us, he can find them. Let's not give up. It says in 29, in Philippians, verse 29, that for it has been granted by God to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. That same scripture in the New Living Translation says, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. So in our belief of the gospel, sometimes what happens, and I don't know, maybe you have a husband, a wife, children, grandchildren, friends, you know, where in a sense you kind of suffer because they're not believers and they're going off on the wrong direction. Or maybe even you're, you know, in a position where those very people are giving you a bad time about being a believer. Right? Obviously, there's believers in the world who are physically being assaulted, killed in foreign countries for the gospel of Christ. Suffering is a part of the gospel. Suffering is a part of the Christian life. You know, and God, just like we read right there, he allows it, and, and he's even saying here that it's been granted, right? The new living, that it's a privilege to suffer. And we know the word says that Jesus suffered. There's a purpose in all of that, everything God does, there's a purpose. God uses suffering and adversity in our lives to strengthen, test, and train us. In James chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let your perseverance finish its work 
so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So the Lord uses it in our life to make us more mature believers. Second, God uses suffering in our lives to deepen our compassion for others who are hurting. Suffering softens a hard heart. And any, you don't you know, have to say, but you can consider all the things that you've gone through like the most challenging things. Probably a little, last April, four years ago, I had open heart surgery. And you know what? It was a journey like this where I never considered my health. I had good health all the way up until four years ago. And I find myself in, you know, the ICU. But you know what? It was, it was almost like a spiritual journey, and I could see that. You know what? Man, here I was taking it for granted for one thing, but I think that I kind of looked down on other people. I didn't have compassion for people that had physical issues. But now I do because I've been there. You know, I could see, man, the Lord, you know what, that's what he does. That he makes us sometimes or often to walk down the hard road. And you get a view of suffering or adversity or challenge, physical, emotional, all different kinds of ways that you would never, you're not going to learn that in a book. You're not even going to learn that from some guy standing up here telling you about it. Right? When you go through it and you live through it and you talk to somebody and you, you've been there, you're, you know what it feels like. And that's what the Lord does, that he leads us through that. The third point is God uses suffering to make us more like Christ. Romans 8.28 and Romans 8.29. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things God works for good. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. That same scripture in the New American Standard, he says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, all things mean what? All things. Right? Good and bad. All things. He causes all things. Probably hard to remember that. James, that's another scripture that I hate, you know. <laughs> I hate to remember that one. Because you know what? In a hard time, this is going to come to mind. And you don't want to go, look, there's purpose in this. What purpose could there be in this? And it's kind of like backwards, it's not probably natural to be thinking that, like, oh, I'm so happy, I'm, you know, I broke my leg. Right, but you know what? He says here, God causes all things, somehow the Lord brings good from adversity. He can bring fruit from that. 
Verse 29, he goes on to say, which I think is the whole explanation of it. He says here, for those who God foreknew, he also predestined them to be conformed into the image of his son. And suffering conforms us into his image. A quote from Max Lucado. He says, it is in the storms that he does his finest work. For it is in the storms that he has our keenest attention. And you know what? Suffering helps us, I know it does to me, to pay attention more to him. But you know what? We also pay attention more to others. We have a view more of others who are going through a hard time. Are we looking for the purpose of God in all our circumstances? So with all it is, right, in this scripture, these three scriptures here, are we living a life that has the amount of value in it that equals what, how, what the gospel is? Are we living out the gospel in our everyday life? The second thing, are we trusting in the power of the gospel? Especially towards our family and friends and co-workers and different people that are neighbors that don't know him. Are we trusting that the gospel is power, powerful enough to reach each and every one of them, regardless of how far gone they look? And lastly, are we looking for God's purpose, even in our suffering? God is a God of purpose. And everything that happens to us, just like in Romans 8.28, goes through God first. And his purpose is going to be, you know, lived out in our lives. But we need to look for it. So before I pray, there's, a, and as we enter into worship, that I'm going to move this. And if you want to come up here and make your peace with God, then please do. There's communion on either side in the front. And there's also going to be, I'm going to be back there and a few people there if you need Someone to pray with you for some situation, okay? And let's pray. And you know what? This time of worship is one of the most favorite times that I have. And it's a good time to, to be meditating not just on his word, but to med be meditating on what's going on, you know, between you and God. And let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace in our lives. Lord, that in all these things, you are faithful. Lord, and I do pray that you would speak to each one of our hearts. Lord, that you would make us into people that live according to your gospel in every way. Lord, and that we wouldn't underestimate the power that's behind it. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.